You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. So if you guys haven't been around yet this month, there we are in First and Second Timothy. And so if you miss, I'm, I'll catch you up a little bit, like the fast-forward abbreviated versions, to kind of get us to where we are today, because there are good things that Joe has already talked about that sets the stage for all these things. So the first week of the month, Joe kind of gave a quick overview of how, they, how the whole thing works, how the big idea that Scripture is not written to us, but for us. Have you guys heard that? Do you remember that? Maybe? That, that one table over there? Um, so yeah, because they're letters. Like Paul wrote these letters to Timothy. And so they're not letters written to us. And the, the fun part about the Timothys and that they are letters is that they are exactly that, that they're letters. And so have you guys ever written a letter to someone and they're kind of like broken up? Like the first paragraph is like, hey, remember that one time we did that one really cool thing together? Remember that? And then the next paragraph's like, hey, next summer when you're free, we should do this. And then it's like, I really miss you. See you later. If you know you guys write letters like that, and you ever think about how, like, how actually incoherent it actually really is, or you're like, what this is happening? But if you read a letter from a friend, you're like, oh, that's totally normal. Yeah, I do remember that sweet time. We should do this next summer, and I miss them too. That's perfect. But if you're like reading some other letter to some other dude, you're like, that doesn't make sense. And so to understand that this is the Timothys, and this is kind of what we're going through. So even today, as we're talking through some of these five sayings, it is a little... Uh, so we're maybe all over the place because it's this letter where Paul's like, oh, remember this thing. Oh yeah, and this subject, remember this. And so it's good to know that the scriptures are written for us, not to us. And that was from the first week. Last week, Joe pointed out the theme kind of in the Timothys of fighting the good fight of faith. Paul says that a few times. He also talks about guys that have shipwrecked their faith. And so we had the discussion last week of whether or not you can lose your salvation and the Calvinism, Arminianism thing. And so if you're really interested in that, go look it up because I'm not talking about it today. Um, But you can get to those podcasts. They're free. You know what I'm saying, Eddie? They're free. So there's podcasts. You can go on the Mill website. You can go on the New Life Church website. And you can get to them. And you can listen to them. And there is, especially Joe is a great teacher. And so there's lots of things in there. If you listen to later, you'll catch that you maybe missed the first time. Because you're chewing on your bagels and it's like crunchy and loud. Screens are changing colors. I can tell because everyone like looks up real fast. Um, so yeah, so the five trustworthy sayings. So there's five of these. Um, the fifth one is actually in Titus. So I might have to cheat a little bit next week. Um, but it's to the pastoral epistles, if you've ever heard that. So there's five sayings. And these sayings are pretty neat. Um, there's... There, there's nothing else written like this in the New Testament except for one other verse. And so basically, if you don't know, there's five sayings, and it starts off saying, like, here's a trustworthy saying that you should fully accept. And then it goes on to say this trustworthy saying. The only other scripture that's written with that much authority and clarity of truth is John 3.16. Do you guys know John 3.16? Yeah. It's like the verse that, like, that's the truth. Because God's Son came, we now get eternal life. That He showed us this great love. So that is the cornerstone of how we believe about everything, right? It's a cornerstone of what we think about salvation, whether or not we think it's predetermined or not. It's a cornerstone of why we do missions, because all these things revert back to this. That's why, like, crazy Christian people hold up signs at the big back of, like, NFL end zones, you know, say John 3.16, because it's just massive truth. It's only a couple sentences. It's just a short phrase 
that we can remember, right? And so these, these are written the same way as John 3.16, as truths that we can fully accept, that we can memorize and work on. And it's believed that like the early church uh, remembered these things because they are just small, easy sentences to remember. And maybe the best way to kind of describe them is that we all have these things. Like in our families or your friends, you know you guys have like sayings that you always say. Like in the middle office, like Joe and I always say, oh, it's not just good, it's good enough. Have you guys ever heard that before? Yeah, because it means, oh, we care, but we don't care that much. You know, so as long as it gets done, it's fine. And it defines us. If you, if you know that saying about me and Joe and saw us work, we play a lot of foosball. It's not just good, it's good enough. Come on, people. Uh, just trying to be honest. Uh, but we all have these things, and families have these things. Like, um, you're going to think my family's crazy, but I'll share some of mine. So, like, you know when you were little and you got spanked? Did you guys ever get spanked? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so good. So I didn't really because I was a pretty good kid. But just kidding. I got spanked a lot. And so, like, my parents, you know the old saying, like, when your dad is, like, about to spank you, and he's like, look, son, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. <laughs> you know that saying? My dad didn't say it like that. My dad switched it. He's like, look, son, if I do this right, this should hurt you far more than it hurts me. And, and that was a saying in our house that we knew. And we saw it to be true. Because he would just hit us and it would hurt and he would be fine. You know, he would use a paddle. It wouldn't even hurt his hand. And so it defined our family. We know that that was the truth. We knew if we, like, messed around and got in trouble that it was going to hurt for us. Or... Another saying in my house, um, all growing up, and this is true, like this saying is true, it's even like on the wall at home. It's like plastered now on one of my parents' walls. But it says, the saying is, dads can fix everything but pop metal. Which, if you don't know what pop metal is, like one time I like took something like really cheap, like metal thing to my dad. I was like, can you fix this? It broke. He's like, no. I was like, you said dads can fix everything. He's like, not this. It's crap. I was like, okay. But, so like, um... So that defined our house. Dads can fix everything but pop metal. And, and even growing up, we had like a box of just stuff that broke. And we would just like leave it for dad to fix it. Like it was totally foreign to me to think, oh, that broke? I should go buy a new one. It's like, oh, no, we'll just give to dad. He'll fix it. In fact, if we broke something, it's normally like give to dad before mom finds out. And maybe he'll fix it before mom gets home. Uh, and that's real. Can I tell you a story to kind of prove this a little bit? It's kind of a rap trail, but it's kind of fun. So, um... When I was growing up, I was, like, really into G.I. Joes. Anybody else into G.I. Joes? Yes. Some of you guys are. And so I was, I don't know, like, I don't remember how old I was, but I wanted this, like, massive G.I. Joe fort for Christmas. It was the kind that, like, opened up and had, like, sweet towers. And if you, like, touch special hidden spots, it looked like it would, like, blow up. You know, like a bomb hit it. You guys know what I'm talking about? Some of you guys know? Your girls are like, what is this? Uh... And so I wanted this for, again, I don't remember how old I was. Maybe I was 18. No, it was more like maybe nine. And so I wanted this for it, and I asked for it. And uh, so one day I came home from school, and my mom said, okay, Aaron, there's something in your closet that I don't want you to see. So I'm just going to leave it in there, and don't go into your closet until I tell you that it's safe. But I was not fully present always when my mom told me things growing up. I don't know if you can relate to that. And so, sure enough, like an hour later, I opened the closet, and there was a G.I. Joe fort. It was like this big, 
it was like this big box with like color printing, and it was like the angels were like singing, you know, it's like, Ma! That might be a little mermaid, but it, it was like <laughs> glorious. And so I, and so because I'm a good kid, and I know that other saying, like, oh, this is going to hurt. If my mom knows that I looked in this closet, I'm going to get spanked and it's going to be bad. And so I went to my mom. I said, Mom, I'm sorry. I forgot. Which, by the way, it's so screwed up to hide your own kid's present in their closet. <laughs> like, I look back on the story and think, Mom, what, what are you thinking? And so I told my mom, I said, look, I saw it, and um, I'm sorry. And so she said, okay, thanks for being honest with me, but now I have to take it back. And I was like, but I was honest. And so, so a couple weeks later, it was Christmas. I run downstairs to open presents, and sure enough, I see this box, the same size as the one I saw in the closet, and it was all wrapped up. And I could, like, hear the angels, like, singing from underneath the wrapping paper, you know? And so, like, I go in there, and I rip it open, and it's not a G.I. Joe box. It's, like, this Michael Jackson Casio keyboard. But I don't play keyboard, so it wasn't a cool gift. And, and if you know... This is such a rabbit trail story. Uh, but if you know my family, like, this is one of, our, one of our favorite things to do at Christmas. It's just to, like, mess with each other. And so, like, my mom's like, open up this box. There's another box inside of it. I was like, oh, cool. And sure enough, there's another box. And then this kept happening. So that box had another box and another box. And so it was like this tiny shoe box. And at this point, I'm like, it's clearly not a G.I. Joe fort. This sucks. And so I opened up. Oh, I'm losing my mic. So I opened it up, and it was a Barbie there was a Barbie inside of the shoebox, which is the exact opposite of a G.I. Joe fort. And so I saw this Barbie, and in my rage, I grabbed it, and I ripped its legs off, and I threw it across the room. Uh, and, and as, like, a punishment, my mom's like, go to the other room. I was like, fine. I want to go to the other room. I hate all you. Because they're all, like, laughing. They think it's fun. I probably need to go to counseling for this, but why go to counseling if I can just tell you guys instead? Uh, and so I went to the other room, and sure enough, the G.I. Joe fort was in the other room, all set up for me. And then I felt like a jerk for ripping up my sister's toys. What? Oh, yeah. So the point of the story is that little Barbie ended up in my dad's fix-it box because we saw this truth to be real, that dads can fix everything but pop metal. We saw it over and over again. He fixed Barbies. He'd fix our G.I. Joes. You know, like they have like little rubber bands in them. Some of you girls are like, no idea what I'm talking about. So G.I. Joes are like two pieces and they have these little rubber bands. So we'd like take their upper body and spin it. And then we'd let go and the legs would kick real fast. You know, like. <laughs> but if you do that enough times, they break. You know, it's a rubber band. It's not like, I don't know. And so all those things would always end up back in my dad's box. And he would always fix stuff. It was incredible. And so... And all that to say, these are kind of what these sayings are. These truthful sayings in the scripture are these things that are simple. You can memorize them. And they're truths. And truths that you can see proved over and over again. And, you, and when you have these things in your mind, when you see it, something, it, actu- it actually registers as proof for that thing. Where if you weren't thinking about something, like if that saying didn't exist in my house, that dads can fix anything, when stuff broke and my dad fixed it, I probably wouldn't even think about it. But it became so part of like, our family's culture that it's even that way in my house now. Like, I don't ever like to buy anything. I always try to fix stuff. Even if I don't know how to fix it, I just kind of get it close so it works, you know? Um, okay, so if you have notes, we're going to start, we're going to jump into these. And so uh, the first one is around, uh, it's in First Timothy, it's in chapter 1. 
That's verse 15. Um, but one thing I've really been loving lately um, in dinner groups and things like that is reading the scripture out loud. It even says, one thing that Paul says to Timothy in these scriptures is devote yourself to like the public reading of scripture and to the teaching and preaching of the gospel. And so that's something that Paul says, and we'll actually read it here this morning. So when I read these truths, I kind of want to read what's in front of it and what's behind it. Is that cool? And so this might be hard for some of us to like just listen. So if you need to, like sometimes like a dinner group when someone's reading uh, scripture out loud, I just have to sit and close my eyes. Because if I like look around, I'm like, oh, look at that butterfly. And I'm like, wait, what did he just say? I don't know if you guys are like that. I'm sure you guys aren't. That's why you're at Mill Sunday School. Okay, so the first one uh, is chapter 1, around verse 15. So I'll start in verse 12, cool? And I'll read maybe just a little bit after it. So I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst, But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And we'll stop there on this first one. Um, So when we talk about these, I think we'll just kind of talk about what's around it and um, some of the context and beauty of it. So this is, this is a very simple saying. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, right? It's a simple sentence. But if we believe it, there's these things about it that will change us. And what I love in this, as I was reading about it um, in the last couple of weeks, Paul starts off by saying, look, I'm the worst. And if you guys were there on Friday night, like I talked about this a little bit because it's been so much on my mind lately. But he said, look, I'm the worst. If there's any sinner, I'm the best one. Which isn't really like a good thing to be saying, right? Um, and even, and the, some of these words can be confusing because he says things like, because I acted ignorantly, like that's why the mercy came. That's not why mercy came. Because you acted ignorantly and he messed up, even though he thought he was doing right, it put him in the range of that mercy. So it allowed him to be in a spot where God's grace could be shown in such a great and beautiful way. And so, but as he's thinking about this, he's, not, he's also not arrogant in how he's discussing this. He's saying, look, I'm the worst. And if I could be saved, if I've killed tons of people, I've persecuted the church, thinking I was acting holy and righteous, but I wasn't. If he can save me, then he can save anybody. And so this big idea, and the thing that maybe I love most, is after he finishes that, there is those sentences where he says, Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Because there's this thing in us that when we come face to face with this simple truth that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, which is us, that Jesus came for us, when we are messed up and broken, even when we think we do things right and we don't, it'll cause this stuff to come out of us. The response, even when Paul is thinking about it and reflecting on it, is this moment of praise and worship and lifting up this great 
and holy God because he doesn't know what else to do, right? So these truths will change us. Okay, so that's the first one. 1 Timothy 1.15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Second one is in chapter 3. So uh, it's 1 Timothy, and then it actually starts off um, on the first verse, but I think I'll read a little bit after that just so we can hear more of it. Cool? Good enough? It's not just good, it's good enough. Um, here's a trustworthy saying. Chapter 3. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. He must not be a recent convert or he may be conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into, into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Deacons, likewise, are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep a hold of deep truths of the faith which, with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate, trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be the husband of but, what, of but one wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served will gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. So we'll stop there. Um, so as I was looking up into these, um, there's some, there's different translations where they use the word bishop instead of overseer. So the overseer says, if you desire to be an overseer, you desire a noble task. Um, the overseer, some translations say bishop, which we have a different context and lens for. Um, so overseer, is, is, I think, is a better word for it, where it is talking about leadership in general, someone who like, actually oversees and supervises. And so this could be um, like a pastor, Someone who's like in charge and makes sure everything is running smoothly. Um, does that make sense? So like an overseer, someone like that. And that's why the longer list of descriptions of all the things is under overseer. Deacons still have things, but overseer has this bigger list because they're normally the one in charge. And this may or may not mean an actual like title, but it probably did. Um, but as Paul is writing this, he's very clear in saying like, not searching for dishonest gain or things outside of that. So he's saying it's a noble task to want to serve the church and to serve people and to take care of people on a larger scale where you hold lots of responsibility. If that's what you want to do in serving others and loving others, then that is a noble thing to do. Um, He's not saying um, you should be hungry for power and money and titles. That misses the point. And that's why he gives all those descriptions. And I also think this section, or this trustworthy saying is harder. Because he says it's a noble thing, and then he lists all the requirements. Meaning like, I don't know if anyone's ever done that to you, where it's like, or like my mom's like, oh, you're a great son. I'm glad that you're my son. It's a noble thing that you're my son. Here's a list of 500 things you have to do tomorrow to make sure that you can stay being my son. And you're like, what? Like that, that's hard for me. Um, like, I don't know if you, like, know all these things, but, like, guys like Brady, 
I don't want that guy's job. The amount of pressure and things that he handles on a level that we don't understand is difficult. You know, like there's so many rotten emails that poor man gets because someone misinterpreted something he says. And there's a long list of things, right? So it is a noble thing, even though I think it's very difficult. Uh, Also, to clarify, so overseers are the ones that kind of like supervise and look out for all these things. Deacons um, is this word, I don't know how to say this stuff, Uh, decanos or something, I don't know. Sounds like Hispanic, but it's not. Um, So it appears in the New Testament 30 different times, this word, that is translated into deacons here as like the second half of this chapter. Um, But in lots of other places, in the 30 times it's translated, it's also translated as servant. So Paul refers to himself as this word, as a deacon. Um, Timothy is also referred to. So a deacon is anyone that serves. So anyone on any level. So some of them are translated as deacon. Some of it's translated as servant. Some of it's translated as teacher or preacher. Some of them are even translated as like a, a civil servant, like someone who's just serving and helping people. And so and I think that's so interesting because there's still a list of stuff there. There's still a list of things um, to be sincere, not given to much wine. This, that's for all of us that are trying to serve and trying to help. Uh, there's a hair right there. Sorry, no one else saw that but me, so I just looked cross-eyed for a second. Um, and so that's what deacon is. It's someone who serves and loves. Um, and I think that really helps us in understanding some of that scripture. Does that make sense? So the second one, and try to write these things down because I may or may not give away something next week if you guys can remember these like three sentences. But the next one gets trickier. So that's why I warn you now. So the first one, Christ came to the world to save sinners, right? Remember that one? Uh, the second one, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task, right? Pretty simple. Easy to remember. And you can see how these things would start to define an early church, Right? If you believe, oh, it's, it's a good thing if I want to help lead and help serve and take care of the church. You can see how that could really change church. You can see how that could really change our churches now if we believe that. I have a hard time sometimes because I see some really great leaders and they don't believe this to be true. And it is a simple truth that's stated very true in scripture. And so there's some really great guys that would if we would let them in, if they chose to come and help serve the body of Christ, we would all be massively changed from it. You know what I mean? Like there's these, some of these people where it's like, you are doing great and beautiful things. And I want in on it. If you would let me, if they would let themselves, if they believe this to be true, it would change us. Wouldn't you say? I think it would, even if it may not be popular to admit. Um, okay, so the third one is in chapter 4. So you can just look over to the next page. It's actually 4.9. Um, yeah, so I'll read it, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. Because this one's kind of weird. Um, yeah, so we'll just start at the beginning of chapter 4. Cool? All right, so if you need to close your eyes or listen or write things down or however you listen best, um, just try to catch some of the stuff. So the Spirit clearly says, in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. 
They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God in prayer. If you point these things out to the brother, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truth of faith and the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And for this we labor and strive, that we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, and especially of those who believe. Yeah, I think I'll stop there. Okay, so the tricky part about this one is, um, so I'll read where, so in this one it sounds like this, ready? This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And for this we labor and strive that we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all men and especially those who believe. Right? So that sounds like the trustworthy sentence, right? Let me read it out of a different translation for you. Uh... Wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. Okay, physical exercise, you see, has limited usefulness, but godliness is useful in every way. It carries a promise of life both now and in the future. That saying is, a trustworthy, is trustworthy. It deserves to be fully accepted. Totally. Exclamation point. So what is the trustworthy saying? Freaking Paul. Um, that's the hard part about this trustworthy saying is they don't know which one it is. Cool, right? You're welcome. Uh, and so it's like split half and half, and it depends on what translation you read. Does it make it sound like which one it is? Is it the one that like, oh, we have hope because Christ is our Savior for all men, especially those that believe? Or is he saying that the truth is physical training has some value, but really... Godliness has more value. I don't know. You can discuss it among your friends later today. Um, So we'll just talk about both of them just for a minute. Cool, right? Sorry. So there's five, but there's kind of six. I don't know. Let's call it five and a half. Come on, people. Um, Okay, so we'll talk about this first one. So for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So Paul references running races. He, like, references wrestling and, like, sporting activities that are very physical activities. Um, You guys know what I'm talking about? Have you ever seen that, like, in the Corinthians? He's talking about that. He's talking about fighting a good fight. And running the race so he'll receive the crown at the end. You guys know what scriptures I'm talking about? Have you ever heard that? You come to church before? And so, uh, so, so he talks about this a lot. And I think there's something in it that he points out for us. Um, have you guys ever like ran ever? Do you guys run ever? Yeah? And you know like that point where you're running and you're like, I just want to walk. But you're still running, but you're like arguing in your head, I should walk. No, I should run. Uh, and then you finally, you stop running and you walk and you're like, oh yeah, I'm finally walking. You know that feeling? 
But do you know the other feeling where you're like, I'm going to run until I get to that tree. It's a mile down the road, but I'm going to get to that tree. So help me God, I'm going to get to that tree. You know what I'm talking about? And then you get to that tree and you're like, I'm the king of the world. Have you ever done that? Or like, like Stern and some of these guys always like to talk about the incline. Have you guys ever done the incline? It's the same thing. You're like, I should quit. I'm an idiot. I should quit. This sucks. And then you get to the top and you're like, I'm the best human ever. <laughs> no one is as good in shape as I am. Have you guys ever done that? You know that feeling? Um, but I think there's something similar that Paul is trying to paint this picture for us in that, that this spiritual training and living out this life of godliness is similar to that. It's not like this beautiful, rosy, oh, I accepted Christ, now everything's fine thing. It's this feeling, this just constant tension between, I just want to walk, but I can't because I need to run to that tree. You know what I'm saying? And so I think what's interesting is that there's, there is a correlation because I feel like there's some stuff inside of us that is similar to that. Our ability to say no to walking and running can, in a similar way, translate to us searching out this difficult thing of godliness because it's difficult. And there's things that even though I read scripture and live in community, there's still things I don't understand. And I have questions and I have doubts and I get mad sometimes and I try to pray through it. I try to read scripture. Do you guys have these things? Or are you guys like, cool, you don't have issues? Just me. I need to go to counseling for this and for the Barbie doll thing. Um, but that's kind of how it is. It is like a fight. It isn't this simple, clear-cut thing. And I think that's what Paul is trying to warn us by explaining these things to us through the analogies of physicalness. Because we can understand that. We've all tried to run before. Um, so we can relate to that. Um, so the second one, so it's either verse 8, is the one about physical training, has some value, but godliness has value for all things. Um, the other one that half the people think it could be is verse 10, the truthful saying, of course, uh, that we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, and especially of those who believe. And so, um, one of the most popular ideas about this scripture is that Paul is referring to Caesar when he talks about Savior. It's like the similar, or if not the same word, um, that would have been normal and common in that day to talk about Caesar. Like, the guy who runs everything. He saves us. He's the Lord. He takes care of us. And so what Paul is trying to clearly define here is that uh, it's Christ. Christ died for all. It comes back to the first truth. He came to the world to save sinners. He came for all of us. Um, but the part where it says, especially for those who believe, because there are some people that choose that relationship with Christ and some do not, right? He is a gentleman in that he doesn't just make us all believe we're not robots, we're not drones. Um, so Savior here is referencing that he came. It, it kind of references back to the first one. He came, he's real, uh, and there's hope there. And this is something that I've been thinking about a lot. And I've had a lot of conversations with friends and people in my life that I respect and trying to figure this thing out. Because life is really hard, right? And there's stuff that's like difficult and doesn't make sense. And, and I know the answers. I've been in church long enough. I've taken enough classes to understand the reason why stuff sucks. Like I get the biblical, the logical reasons. But it doesn't make the pain not hurt. 
right? And so I was even talking to a friend last week, and I said, what is the difference between us as saved believers in 2012 and people who aren't saved? Like, it still sucks. People still hurt, and people still die, and I still don't have answers for stuff. And that, in, in these conversations, I think it's the hope we have. It's this beautiful balance that we live in of that the kingdom has come and it's not fully here yet. And that is kind of the stock Christian answer to deal with that. Um, sorry, I'm just being, trying to be honest with you and how I think. Um, but it is true. So it's Christ that says it is finished when he, when he goes to the cross and he wins. Like he's paid for everything, right? He's paid for the healing that we received. He pays for eternal life. Right? But we haven't fully got all of it yet. Right? So the same scriptures that say it is finished, also later at the end of the book, says it is done. So there's a difference. There's a, there's a time gap between when it's finished and when it's done. Um, but there's, we have hope in that. Right? So even if something great happens in this world now, it's because we get glimpses of this kingdom that we're not fully living in yet. Even if someone, like the most miraculous miracle, if someone's raised from the dead, they're probably still going to die again later, right? So the kingdom's come. We see a glimpse of this great kingdom of someone being raised from the dead, but they still die. And, um, sorry, this is just my process. This has less to do with the scripture and more about my thoughts. But that's what you get when you invite me to speak at Sunday school. Um, so anyways, uh, so the difference is we have the hope. We have this hope that, oh, there is something else coming uh, in the future, something that we can hold on to and stay fast in and sort through this challenging fight of trying to live godly and fighting and battling and figuring out why there is these things and wrestling with doubts and questions that we have, all in the context that we have this great king that came for all sinners to save us, to give us hope. And um, one thing that's really been helpful to me in realizing that the only difference we have is we have hope and we're called to do this thing together. And I talk about this a lot because I'm the worship guy, but I'm also the small groups guy. So I'm always trying to tell people to live in community and fight it out with people. And yeah, some of, she laughs because she's had friends where they actually mattered and you had fights uh, and it's real. But so the hope we have is talking with each other and living in community with each other and being there when the victories happen. You know, if you're friends with someone long enough, you see, like, great victories in their life. But if you're also friends with them long enough, you probably see some really crappy stuff. And it's probably, like, you have fights. Some of you don't fight. It's, like, foreign to you. But other people, it's, like, they pick a fight with you every week, and that's just your friendship. But you work through it, right? And there's hope there. There's hope in these stories. So that's what I think. So the, the hard part about this last truth is that we don't know which one it is. So it could be for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding, pro, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Or it could be that we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all men and especially of those who believe. And so as I've been thinking about this, um, knowing that relationships take a long time and community takes a long time, it takes years before you get to know someone, I think, we don't always take enough opportunities to get to know people even in the beginning stages, right? So if these things are true, if Christ came to save, um, being an overseer is a noble thing, if holding on to this hope in God is real, then I think we should talk to each other this morning. Um, so this is what I want. We have like 15 minutes left. Um, 
And I want you to talk at your tables. So there's three slash four truths, right? Do you remember them? I've said them like 20 times now. So the first one, Christ came, died for sinners, or he came for sinners, right? Came to save, the first one. Uh, wanting to be an overseer is a noble task. That's the second one. And then this last one was like the physical training, um, godliness, or like putting our hope in God, the Savior of all, right? So what I want you to do is I actually want you to share your story or a story of yours with someone at your table. Um, And this might be like, it's different than normal Sunday school talks because normally in Sunday school you're talking about ideas and scripture and context. But in the next 10 minutes, I want you to talk about your ideas and where you've seen these truths to be true in you. Um, to reflect on it in a way that Paul does in the first one, where he says, look, I'm the worst. But this is true that Christ came to save sinners. And, I, and so I want us to take a minute to share these stories. Is that cool? And then so take like five or ten minutes, share where you have seen one of these truths to be true in your life or in the life of someone close to you. And then we might hear like two stories real quick and then we'll be done. Cool? Deal? All right, ready, set, go. We have a couple minutes. Would anyone like to share their story with the whole group so that we can have hope and encouragement from you seeing these truths to be true in your life? Like only one or two. We only have time for like one, maybe two. Anybody? Bueller? Bueller? I understand. It's like you made me be vulnerable with people at my table. I can't do this for everybody. Come on, anybody? If not, I'm going to make Joe do it. I mean, he's not doing anything. You know, look at him. I do have the mic. Yeah, he does have the mic. Nobody wants to share a story? Oh, Higgins. Oh, Higgins. You can always count on Higgins, you know? Probably should be. I, I'm, I'm going to talk about the, uh, the second truth here. Uh, in regards to leadership being held to a higher example and a higher... Uh, a higher authority, as it were. Um, as as a mill leader, we are we are held. We're actually literally forced to sign if we want to be a leader uh, a piece of paper that says that we're going to live by these truths, live by these standards, and we have to stick to it. And we've we've had situations um, in the past where leaders have violated that. And we've asked them to step aside until they can be brought into healing. We don't throw them out where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth by any means. But it's, it's a process that we remove them from leadership, that we, we go through this restorative process with them. And, and so speaking from my own life, my, my, my own experience, uh, you know, I've been around New Life for 12 years now. So I've, I've seen it from the highest echelons to you know, just mill leaders, and it's that same standard that we expect everyone to be held to. And I, I go, in my own life, if I'm not held to those standards, then what's the point of holding someone else to those same standards? Uh, so I, I think it ultimately comes to the fact that leadership is judged more harshly, and I think that these standards are there to, to make it easier, for lack of a better term, uh, in terms of judgment and, and living an example for others. Yeah. I think that's good. Uh, we have like two minutes left. i probably just wrap it up, huh? Probably should. So, um, 
Yeah, so try to, this week, I'm sure you wrote them down ferociously in your notes. Uh, but if not, look up these, these first three, three and a half, four, I don't know, truths of, of these things. And see if you can go and memorize them and bring them back, memorize next week. So that they'll be part of your life this week. Can we try that together? I'll try it if you try it. Because um, then you'll see these things. Like when you see some of these truths and you see a glimpse of them coming real, you say, oh, that, no, that is true. I've seen it. I don't just read it. I've experienced it. It's one of the ways that we can know something is there, right? It's just one. So let me pray for us. Um, and then we can go to big church or wherever. So Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for the truth of your scripture uh, that points us and defines who we are, defines how to live, how to lead, how to serve. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would guide us in it. You would guide us in living in hope and fighting through um, what it looks like to be godly and to search after you and to not pick fights and to not be quarrelsome and to not want to drink too much and all of these things. Holy Spirit, would you lead us in it? Um, without you, we'll probably screw it up. And that's just how it is. So we just thank you, Lord. Uh, Holy Spirit, move in us. Thank you for these truths. Change us, work on us, in our heads and in our minds, in our hearts, in all of us, in our relationships. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. You can find more information at www.themillonline.org.